Welcome everyone to Seat Go Create. This is your host, Tim Winders, and this is a fun conversation. Today, I'm gonna to be talking to an author, someone who's got a background in law. They've got a background that I love to read that, that are in the nonprofit world, also in the profit world. She's coming to you today from Washington, D.C. I'm coming from somewhere in the middle of America in South Dakota in the, in the RV. And we're, we're just going to have a fun conversation. Here's the reason I think it's going to be fun for me and I think for you is that we come from different backgrounds and we're going to embrace that and have conversations about, hey, what was it like for you? What's it like with this? And, and, and I, I love doing that because it stretches me and I think it stretches all of us. And I think we need that. So hang tight. We'll get to that in just a moment. I want to remind you, if you have not checked out our YouTube channel, you may be actually watching this on YouTube. If you are, make sure you subscribe and continue watching the videos we have. But if you have not checked out the Seek Go Create YouTube channel, make sure that you visit there because we do a few things with these episodes. We put up the full interview episode with some edit. We clean it up and do some things with it. But we also like to put up about two to five minute clips of every episode so that if you needed to just check out something real quick and see if you wanted to, to just check the longer interview, you could just kind of go do a short video and check that out. So if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel at Seek Go Create, Go check it out and subscribe and then make sure you look at some of those shorter videos so that then you could go listen to the longer interview format. Uh, that is one of our fastest growing platforms right now on YouTube. So make sure you check that out. And uh, thanks for doing that. Today, we have Vita T. Richardson as our guest. And she's the president and CEO of a global nonprofit professional association of, get this, 45,000 lawyers serving over 10,000 companies across 85 countries. Those are some big numbers. I might get her to talk a little bit more about that. But here's what I like. I like the short, the short bio. She's, she says she's an author, business strategist, and leader. All of those fit perfectly with Seek Go Create and what we talk about here. Her work and her story are inspiring people across the country to find the potential leader within themselves. Vita, welcome to Seek Go Create. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad that you're here also, to, also Vita. And uh, we're going to have fun with a lot of things. Gave you a little bit of prep here, but uh, you and I bump into mm -hmm. somewhere. And I don't know how we do that. You're in D.C. I'm in the middle of America. We, one of us are going to have to travel. But let's yes, just say we're I on volunteer. A, <laughs> <laughs> let's just say we're on a plane or something, and we just strike up a conversation. I don't know anything about you. I don't know if it's business setting or whatever. And I just ask you what you do. What do you tell me? What do you tell people when they ask? What do you do? Yeah, well, um, I work in a nonprofit. We're dedicated to helping lawyers with education, with information, and the ability to network with one another. And it's mm. a global group. So we're connecting people all over the world, all around the topics of law. All around the topics of law. Okay, so very cool. Mm -hmm. And, and the, reason, the reason that would be intriguing to me is because as a business owner, this is going to get us started either in a fun way mm -hmm. or an awkward way right out of the gate. Sometimes <laughs> when I hear lawyers, I kind of go, oh, lawyers. <laughs> well, I've, I've got a background. Well, we've, got, we've, had, we've had real estate companies and all that. And it's like this love-hate. It's like, man, I love lawyers, but dang, sometimes they cause issues. So so what's it like hanging out with lawyers? Uh, it's, it can be very challenging. Well, fortunately, I used to be one, so sometimes I understand the pressures that they're facing a little bit better, but it, it's a group that always keeps you on your toes. 
they have high standards, um, have a lot of pressure and responsibility for the companies that they work for. So, um, yeah, it can be a challenge, but I enjoy it. Good. So I, I want to, I'm actually going to flip some things in the order I usually go. Now I told you okay. we're just going to have fun with conversation anyway. But one of the things I typically do is start off with people's stories. But, but I want to start off with kind of, I want to go big picture with Vita's mission right now. Mm-hmm. Because I think I told you I read about half your book and I, and I told you that in a good way. I read half of it and then also told you apologetically. I only read half of it yesterday. But, um, but I could kind of tell that you are, you're, you're thinking big. You're a big thinker. So we're going to get into the book. We're going to get into your background. We love to talk mm-hmm. about stories of overcoming and how we become who we currently are. But what's Vita's big mission? What's your big picture right now? What are you working towards? I want to have an impact, a positive impact on other people. And that's because all my professional life, I've always been a person who was engaged in mentoring or reaching out and someone was helping me. So I'm a really big believer in the concept of pay it forward. So this book is really my passion project. And it's about trying to reach a wider sector of people, trying to make recommendations that people who aren't in law could find, you know, as relevant to them as some of the lawyers that I've worked with too and mentored. And it's really about being a teacher, which I think, you know, at the essence um, appeals to me. Yeah, both my parents were educators and I recognized early on that I had that gene. Teaching and coaching, Mm -hmm. that's what I really love to do. So with with that, because it's really interesting, I could have kind of agreed with everything and describing some things that I do and some things we do with the network here with Seco Create. What -hmm. are some things that excite you about that mission? And what are some things right now that maybe frustrate you about that? Because making an impact can be very frustrating. It, it can be for me. In yeah. fact, I've been in, I've been in a little bit of a mood recently. I hope I'm not too edgy on the call here, but I've been in a little bit of a mood here that we've got some headwinds with making impact and maybe that's just some personal stuff, but positives, mm-hmm. some, some exciting things that you've got going on and some things that's like, man, this is frustrating to me. Yeah. The most exciting thing is when I'm, someone is coming for advice and Um, I've always used the habits or the principles that I outline in this book as my structure for advising someone, for asking them questions, for helping them step outside of themselves to think of themselves or their problem a little bit differently. And what's the most exciting is when you see the light bulb go off or you make a suggestion or a recommendation. Uh, So I can go on and offer an example if you'd like. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead and give me an example. I'm actually, I, we are going to spend more time with your six in just a moment. I've mm-hmm. got some highlights and okay. questions. So let's don't dive into that just yet, but go ahead with an example. And then I do want to hear what's frustrating you because there could be some similar things that I'm seeing that I'm kind of going, okay, this is kind of bugging me right now. Yeah, so the, the example is over the past weekend, I was speaking at a conference of women executives. And one of the women came to me because she had been toying with the concept of writing a book, but she was intimidated. She wondered whether what she had to say would resonate. 
um, you know, widely, you know, was there an audience for her topic? And so we spent a little bit of time um, talking about it. And I applied the takes stock, you know, where are you now? Where do you want to go? What's the gap in terms of information that you want to fill to help people look at things or look at themselves differently? So we talked about that. And, um, you know, talk to her about how to take a hand, how to get help with writing a book that you don't have to sit necessarily at a blank screen and do it on your own. You can use a ghostwriter like I did. So we started to problem solve around it. And she went from kind of like intimidated, like, how would I ever do this to seeing a light for how it could be possible. And I really get life off of seeing that light go off in someone. Yeah. And, and beautiful. So what frustrates you about attempting to have impact in the world we're in today? It feels so big. You know, there there are so many problems and complexities and divides in the world right now that, you know, you feel a little bit frustrated because, yes, you're making an impact, but, you know, it's it sort of feels like one person at a time and it feels like we just need to have... Um, a big mass connection and so that's a little bit frustrating yeah you know, trying to trying to figure out how to really be impactful with some of the big problems that people are facing now and, and it's interesting uh, you know as someone who I, I do some speaking and obviously we have a podcast we're attempting to do some things also and get getting people to think differently and just be more open and growth-minded and all it's kind of the same thing because what you said i was sitting there thinking said okay what a positive how exciting she made an impact and mm -hmm. you probably made more of an impact this weekend than with that one person but and and i'm not saying you didn't talk to other people i'm sure because you're networking and all that but that's the one mm -hmm. that sticks in our mind right and and it's so interesting I, this is like sort of a sidebar but it's sort of related I'm I, my wife and I right now are doing a read through the Bible and we're deep in the Old Testament mm -hmm. like deep mm -hmm. deep in some of the ugly Old Testament stuff mm -hmm. and we sit here and we think about what would it have been like to be living in those times <laughs> mm -hmm. and and we wonder if maybe we are you know it's kind of like there's so much going on that could get us down oh my gosh yes you know from you know, disease, right? And all the climate issues and war and, you yeah. know, yeah, it, we could just go on, but. Um, yeah. yeah, and even the nature of the place that you're in, you know, Washington, D.C., and I, it, this doesn't matter which side of whatever people are on. Mm -hmm. It's It's just a very potentially exhausting environment. So, yeah. So in the midst of that, we have a conversation and we have an impact mm -hmm. and it, and it, and it nourishes our soul. It makes us want to keep going and all. And so, so with all that, we, now we went big picture. Mm -hmm. I want to back up. I want to back up and I want us to have a little bit of fun. And sometimes I use the word fun in a little bit different way, just so you know. Okay. want to have a little bit of fun with, with kind of your story and, mm -hmm. and you, you share a lot of it in the book, but I want us to talk about it here because we are real big here at Seat Go Create with talking about success, but mm -hmm. what does real success mean and what, what is our journey along the way? So let's back up and we don't have to go over all of that because people need to get the book and read it. However, 
give the listener, myself, a little bit of how did Vita come to be? What was her growing up experience and what were some significant things that happened along the way? Yeah, well, obviously, um, I've talked about my biggest influencers being my parents. Um, But from the perspective that they focused on what's possible and to achieve what could be possible, what my responsibility is. Um, So I grew up in a household where, you know, there was just a natural sort of resilience and also very much a self-focus in the things that you can control. And really the only thing that we can control is ourself and our own reaction to all the things that might go on around us. Um, None of us can, you know, control the course of fate. Um, We can uh, position ourselves as best we can. Um, We can deal with people who may be difficult, but we can't make them stop being difficult because everybody has free will, right? And so, I grew up in a household where you really had a sense of personal accountability in a household where it was clear to all of us what our jobs were supposed to be. So, um, you know, my father, it was a a very, you know, traditional um, sort of home in that my dad worked, my mom stayed home and took care of the home, took care of us. That was defined as their jobs, and our job was to go to school, get good grades, and, you know, not make a lot of trouble. Um, So everybody, like, bought into their jobs, and and so I viewed it as my responsibility to perform at school as best as I could because that was the job I had been assigned, and I just accepted it. I didn't even think of challenging it. And and my guess, especially knowing what you're collegiate career and all it. Mm-hmm. My guess is you did well in school. Yeah, well, it was also because um, growing up, you know, my sister and I went to a Catholic school. We were two of the only non-white kids in the school. And so we stood out. And our mother impressed upon us that you better stand out for positive reasons. You know, you stand out because, you know, your uniform is neat. Um, your book bag is tidy, you're doing your homework, and you're getting good grades, but don't stand out because you're acting out or not listening to the teacher or standing out in any bad ways. So we, we felt that sort of responsibility as well. Yeah, that's interesting. And and so one of the things I would love for us to just converse about, and, and I picked up on a lot of the tone in the book, too, is I, I grew up in a different environment. I would have mm-hmm. been on the flip side of those numbers that you just mentioned. I went to a public mm-hmm. school, but uh, it, everybody looked like me, uh, you know, mm-hmm. bunch of bunch of white kids in the suburbs of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and the white kids kept piling in because the white parents kept trying to get out of Atlanta because of mm-hmm. what was going on in the seventies and all there. Mm-hmm. So, so, and I've, I've attempted to kind of stretch my mind to think about what has that done for me as far as paradigms and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm going to ask you first and then we'll, if we can have some dialogue, that'd be cool about it. What were some things that you believe benefited you because of that setting you grew up in and then what do you what do you think and and I don't pick up on any kind of victim tone because Mm -hmm. 
sometimes people go down that path and that's dangerous. We yeah. know. You don't write mm-hmm. a book like you just wrote and think that, oh, pit, oh poor pitiful me. No. But what are some of the p- positives and then some of the things that it's like, oh, okay, that wasn't so good about the way we, we grew up. Because just because you look different, that's not necessarily the negative. Sounds like a little bit of a positive maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it can be because you do stand out if your eye scans a schoolyard. You stand out as a little bit different. Um, and and so from from that perspective, you know, uh, you you stand out, but but then you're a kid, you know, you want to blend in, you want to make friends. Um, you just want to be part of the crowd. and and so there were groups within the school that, you know, I gravitated to just to be one of the other children. So um, I, I would say though, that, as I look back on the impact of, you know, being of a different race and having, you know, brown skin in an, an environment where that makes you stand out, um, it did it did make me conscious when the spotlight shone on me um, to to be a positive reflection of my family and all of its values. Um, also, I felt as though as I grew up that being different um, and returning to an environment that uh, our neighborhood that was largely African-American, I do feel that as I progressed professionally, it's given me a sense of fluidity in that I'm very comfortable in an environment where I may be the only one but then I'm comfortable in an environment where there are more people like me um, from a lot of my travel and experiences being around people whose background or upbringing or race or religion or sexual orientation are different from mine. You know, you, you get to have a lot more exposure, but that feeling that you have from having been different or standing out because of things that are really um, uh, just innate to you has for me made me a little bit more empathetic for people who may be in a situation of being an underrepresented group, you know, in a society, whatever the majority might be. Right. Right. So, yeah. And that's good. And like I said, from reading and studying, it's like, okay, there's, there is no, uh, poor, poor pitiful me at all. I mean, this is like you, you own it and, and, and you move forward with it. There's something you said earlier that's, that was interesting about, uh, I think we were talking about where we grew up or something like that. And, and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and it's interesting that that is something you, I th- oh, you were talking about what we can control and what we can't control. Right. And, you know, where we are and what we're, where we come from, there's a lot of that that we just can't control. And I actually, uh, I kind of peg the scale of I like to control my world as much as I can. Mm-hmm. And the thing that f- is frustrating at times is recognizing how little probably that we really can control. Probably just this small little space maybe in here is is it and all that. So t- tell us a little bit, Vita, so that people can get a grasp of, 
the breadth of experience that you've had, kind of your journey, because, and you do talk about it a good bit, but I, w- I want us mm-hmm. to kind of talk about because you went corporate, and that was a cool story where you, where you actually um, uh, got that, uh, got the job in the, um, in, with Sunoco, the fuel industry, yeah. I think if I'm right yeah. there. And then you kind of moved to nonprofit, and then later I want to talk about some kind of contrast between profit and nonprofit, but give us a little bit of your professional journey so sure. that we can kind of get a feel for that. Sure. So what I've learned, um, I guess, in terms of my professional journey is a sense of, of, of self-ownership for my, you know, ability to progress or, or reach out to achieve a goal. And so when I was in law school, um, I had a background in business administration. That was what my undergraduate degree was, business and management. And I really wanted to work in the field of corporate law. And my father had been a small business owner, so I, you know, grew up watching him talk about his business and and run it. And my my dad was the type of guy that offered you two choices that he thought were, you know, what you should be pursuing. If you were good in science, you know, you should pursue, and math, you should pursue a career in medicine. And if you're good, good with words and English, go become a lawyer. And he would talk up those two choices. And so I kind of gravitated to law and and thought about combining it with business and wanted to work at a corporation as an intern or law clerk for a summer experience. And at the school where I was going, there weren't any corporations that were coming through interviewing. So I decided this is back in the pre-internet days. So it was days that it took quite an effort. I had to go to the library, look in a book, copy down addresses of companies and the names of their top lawyers and write to them, paper mail, and write for them to, wait for them to write me back. We just lost so, we have so we have some of our audience that are going, I, I don't even know what they're talking about. Snail What's going mail. on? Right. <laughs> it's like it's actually like you put it in an envelope, you look at you put a stamp on it. There's a stamp thing exactly. that you put on and you put it in this box and it just magically And appears. you would just mail out <laughs> multiples of them. So, you know, I mailed out lots, tens and maybe hundreds of letters to different corporations, seeing if there was an opportunity for me to work with them over the summer. And all I got were rejections. But by talking about it, I heard that Sunoco accepted interns for the summer. But by the time I wrote to them and they received the letter, you know, through the postal mail, all the positions were filled. So I wrote back and said to them that this is something I really wanted to do. And I would offer, you know, to work for them for free. Like they didn't have to pay me. I just wanted the work experience. And they thought that was an offer that they could accept (laughs) and they said yeah we'll let you work but we really mean it we don't have budget to pay you it's going to be a volunteer internship and i did and i went there and i felt weird um i stood out um was different in that you know i wasn't being paid but taking on the work and working really hard and by uh, the end of the summer i got really good reviews and ended up being one of two out of the six of us that was offered a permanent position. I say that because I had to take a risk. And in order to work for free, that meant moving back into my parents' house, living in my childhood bedroom. You know, that felt very humbling when you think of yourself as as an adult, you know, with your normally your own apartment making your way. Um, But it ended up being successful for me. 
um, I, then when I left Sunoco, it was because I had been working at the company for about 10 years. I really fell in love with the Maryland and DC area and wanted to move back there. So I was looking to target for a position that would move me back into an area closer to where I went to college. Um, and then I heard about a position that was at the American Corporate Council Association. Quite a different experience moving from a big, you know, Fortune 100 Sunoco, big company, energy company, 30,000 employees to a nonprofit of about 30. But it was to practice law and uh, uh, work on resources for lawyers, another bar association. So I was interested in the job and had the good fortune of the general counsel who had been involved with the association and founding it saying to me that, well, it's a very different situation. It's very different from the type of law that you're doing. Uh, but if you want to try it, go ahead um, and give it a try. If you don't like it, you can come back, but you only have two years to make that decision. So that was another risk for me and it worked out well. Two years passed and I wanted to stay and I've been working in nonprofit, um, you know, associations ever since. Yeah, that's so, and the reason that I, I like that and I, you're kind of incorporating some, some of the principles in here, which is the taking risk, which is, uh, which is something that I like, but what is it? There's there is a big difference between that for profit big corporation. I worked for Bell South oh, yeah. Corporation. I worked for Bell South Corporation coming out of Georgia Tech for about nine years, mm -hmm. and then I I started my own company and we started doing our own businesses. There's a big difference between those two, but there's a there's a big difference between that that for profit and non profit. For the person that's never made that type leap, give a little bit of pros, cons, differences between the two, just so we can yeah. kind of get educated on that. I think that'd be valuable. The difference at a big company like Sunoco, it's so resource and people, you know, heavy. And so I don't know if you need a whole lot of things photocopied or if you need technical support, there are people to come and do it for you. But when you move to a nonprofit of 30, you better learn how to climb under the desk and be technical support, you know, for yourself because, you know, the, the organization is a whole lot smaller. So there aren't as many people that you can call when you experience problems. So it really forces you to have to learn to navigate and figure it out on your own. Yeah. Did you like wearing a lot more hats? Because I do. Yeah, agree. It was you're, a very... in large, you're in a large corporation and it's just like you just stay in a one lane sometimes one cubicle and you stay right. there and don't move. Yeah. And, and you have a role in the big corporation. You know, I had a role. I was doing corporate securities, trans, uh, contracts, transactions, financing. If there was a people issue, like an employment issue, there was someone else who had that expertise that would go to. So you very much, you had a lane and you stayed in it and other experts addressed other things. Well, when I moved to a nonprofit, Sometimes they might want help 
um, or have employment related issues or a contract or in in the case when I went to the nonprofit, they were about to move. So they were renegotiating, you know, their lease of space of office space. So I got involved in that. So there was an opportunity to really impact the organization in so many ways that you don't when you're in an organization that's so big that you're given an assigned lane. And I took to it. I like the entrepreneurial aspect of it. Um, I liked how quickly things moved because in a bigger organization, there's a lot more thinking and almost analysis paralysis sometimes that you don't have time for at a smaller organization. You have to be a not, lot more nimble. Yeah, that's one thing I found that I flourish in much better. I get frustrated when we talk about things and have meetings and talk about things. And it's like, can't, why don't we just go ahead and make a decision here? Mm -hmm. So one of the things, one of our kind of sub taglines here, Vita, is this aspect of redefining success. And, and, and we, we talk about success sometimes in a little bit different way, you know, and in the world out there, I'm kind of pointing for those that may not be able to see, I'm pointing outside my RV where I'm sitting right now. Mm -hmm. In the world out there, success is often defined by how much money you make, the cars in the garage, the houses, stuff like mm -hmm. that. And there's nothing wrong with all that stuff. However, mm -hmm. we like to dig a little deeper here. And we found that a lot of times success is redefined when we go through what some may call a failure or a challenge or we're upended or something does not happen like we thought it would. What are some examples along your way in any time along your path where mm -hmm. you've kind of had to redefine what success looks like? Obviously leaving a for-profit for nonprofit, maybe one, but anything else that you've kind of like going open, oh, you were reeling or challenged and said, okay, success might look different than I thought it did. Yeah. Well, I will say that I agree with you. Sometimes you can get caught up on this treadmill, right? Running, 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 running. When I made the decision to move to Washington, D.C. and leave big for profit and, you know, all the, the benefits and compensation um, that come with it, it was to take a pay cut and go to work for an organization that was much smaller and more entrepreneurial. So that's what causes you, you know, when I got to the two-year point where I could make a decision to go back, you know, within that short period of time, what kept me going, you know, even though you're, you've given a, a lot of the, you know, financial trappings or such, um, was just the work that I was doing. And the, the more immediate impact that you see for the work that you do, um, I also had more time to mentor people, you know, which is something, you know, that I enjoyed. So you, you had time for other things in life that that give you joy or a sense of fulfillment. And I think that's what we're all we're all seeking ultimately or that we all get around to that eventually. That kind of goes back to something you said, even at the very beginning, that example you gave of someone that was impacted by some things you said. So obviously this mentoring role that you have is important for you. At, at what point did you recognize that you, I call it, you have the gene. I, I, I just wanted to be a coach from, from the time I was a kid, both my parents were educators and I went a different direction then, but I've always come back to kind of coaching. So it's, they're, they're, they're related, but cousins, when did you recognize I really should be mentoring other people. 
Um, on the on the playground you know, on the playground when you well were... <laughs> no I I think it was after I went to law school that's mm. when it really started and it's because all up until that point I was striving 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 you know to get a college degree to take the LSAT to place high enough that I could get into law school to do well in law school to graduate to pass the bar it was always like there were so many wrongs. Well, when I finally was all grown up and had achieved that professional objective, at least, um, I tended to encounter people who were trying to find their way along a similar path. And I felt like I had something to share and some encouragement to offer that, you know, um, I will say that I was a good law student. I wasn't the smartest in the class. You know, you won't see my name at the top in terms of having graduated with honors. But I was able to find myself to jobs that I enjoyed and, and to be satisfied and fulfilled with it. So I would encounter other people who would say, well, I don't know if I could get into law school. And I would say, well, yes, you can. You know, here here are some advice that I have in terms of how you go about studying, how you go about applying. Um how you you know present your credentials so it's more attractive on an application so i just started giving people advice um and so you help someone sometimes they would say to someone else oh you should talk to her well i was very complimented by that because finally you feel good you're at a point where you really have something to offer where up until that point it was all about me looking to others oh help me find my way so you feel like you've accomplished something and you feel proud of yourself and, and happy to be able to share it with other people. That's how I got hooked. So when you... But I've also been a beneficiary of so many people investing in me. Um, so one of the things I've learned that I talk about in the book in the chapter, Take a Hand, is all about both being humble enough to admit when you need help and ask for it and the higher up you perceive yourself as going or the more that you achieve in terms of uh, professional success, the harder sometimes it is to admit, hey, I need somebody to help me. And then to take the step to articulate where you're struggling or failing to have someone invest in you. So you have to have more of a humble spirit that way to let people invest in you. But um, the interesting thing, Tim, I found is that when you are a net giver and you spend more time thinking about the people that you're going to invest in and help, you develop a muscle memory for problem solving that helps you navigate your own problems so much quicker and easier. Because um, when you've counseled someone on how to get that next job, when it's your turn, you've, you've thought through a lot of the, you can almost turn the advice around and have a muscle memory for yourself. And that's the benefit. You're, you're benefiting from the advice that you're giving other people. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's one of the things I like to spotlight. It's better to be a net giver. Yeah, I like, I like the, that term net giver. I'm not sure that I've heard it that way because I was thinking about what happens with people when they isolate. And, mm -hmm. I, and I think that happens in all, I think some people reach levels of success where they isolate themselves from others and they don't turn around and give back or even remain humble to ask because I'm not sure that anyone... Mm -hmm. Not sure that anyone knows it all. 
even though some no. people some people seem to act like they do. And anyway, but uh, but I, I I love that when when you mentor, or is it is it formal? Do people come to you? Do do people do you just interact with people and say this because you mentioned something at the beginning? I want this is very it bells went off in my head. You said that someone came to you at that conference this last weekend. And to me, that's one of the big differences. At times, I will attempt to impact people that aren't coming to me. And mm -hmm. I, I think that can be very frustrating. Someone came yeah. to you. So do people come to you and say, hey, Vita, can we interact? Or do you identify people within your organizations that you work with? Or how does that work? And then I've, we're going to dive into the book here in just a few minutes. Yeah, it, it's a combination of both. Um, so uh, at the event where I was, um, there were a number of, you know, women leaders and they knew about my book because it was, you know, uh, part of the conference agenda and it was featured. So I also believe that one of the things that I'm fortunate that people tell me is that I'm come across very approachable. I'm the type of person that walks into a room and I smile at people or notice the other people who might be in the space. And that tends to disarm people. It tends to make people sometimes a little bit more curious. And you just sort of have nonverbal cues and signals that it's okay to come up and say hello, that you're not trying to um, put up an artificial barrier between you and the people that you may be speaking um, in front of if it's an audience or in a smaller group setting that, you know, you're open to hearing about them and sharing. Yeah, that being inviting is so powerful because I think a lot of people go around and I, I use the analogy when I used to teach this in corporate of it's almost as if a lot of people have these this block wall in between them. I'm kind of making this my hand mm -hmm. like like where we are here on the Zoom. Mm -hmm. And and I think part of my role, it sounds like your role, you consider it the same, is to lower those barriers as much as yes. we possibly can so that if Vita and Tim need to do some business together, if we just need to encourage each other, uplift, whatever, mm -hmm. those barriers aren't there. And I, unfortunately, what we see, I think, in, in the world is there's just a lot of barriers between people. And yeah. We need to bring them I down. I agree. I agree. And w one of the ways that, you know, you can just signal that you're interested in people is really looking them in the eye and listening. You know, I'm in a town like Washington, D.C., and so it there are times when this town can be quite superficial. And although I live in the D.C. metropolitan area, I'm not of or from this area. I grew up in a place where people say hello look one another in the eye, have a conversation, and aren't like looking over your shoulder to try to see if there's somebody better who's going to come along. And so all you have to do is experience that one time when people look through you like you're not even there. And for someone like me, it's like I don't ever want people to feel that way because of how I've treated them. Mm. So part of the reason why perhaps I've had such wonderful opportunities to have genuine conversations with people is because I'm interested and I, t I pay attention to them. Hmm. You know, something as simple as that, right? Not look through somebody. <laughs> right, Vita. So somewhere along the way, Vita woke up and said, I'm going to write a book. 
I need to put some of my wisdom, I've been mentoring, I've gone through these experiences. What, what provoked or what was the catalyst for that? I'm always intrigued by that when I, when I have authors because I think back on what provoked me to write. And what was it with you? What was it that you said, you know what, I need to yeah, share. Yeah, thank you. Well, it was because um, I've talked about these principles. So I have a very externally facing role. And I get invited in, speak to this law student group, speak to this other association, you know, speak to, you know, it was a women's executive leadership forum. And so when I do, and I talk about these principles, I've had people come up and say, oh, I was trying to get down what you were talking about. And you were talking, you know, I, I couldn't write fast enough. Do you have an article? Have you written it down? Are you? Do you have a book that I could read to delve in a little bit more? And I'm like, no, here, take my card. If you have questions, just be in touch with me. So this is how I reach out. And then, you know, the number of people that I speak with or might seek advice would multiply. Um, and so when people would ask me, I think, I don't have time to write a book. I'm not a book author. How would I even do that? I'm scared of that blank screen and how you would get started. And so I would just say no and then offer them something else, like, give me a call. Um, and so uh, at one point, I was being interviewed by a blogger, you know, about these principles and someone who is a fantastic writer and has written books. And she validated by me by saying, I really do think you have a book here and I think you should pursue it. And that validation from someone who is an expert made me feel encouraged, you know, just that little boost. And then when the pandemic hit, I was approached, you know, by Forbes about the possibility of becoming one of their authors. And because of that validation I had received, it made me listen and, and think about it. And her encouragement helped me to potentially see myself in a new light. But I was smart enough. I needed help. So thankfully, I had a ghostwriter. <laughs> you know, and I have never seen someone who allowed their ghostwriter to write the foreword. That was fascinating. So I'll, I'll let people, uh, we'll leave that as a tease for people to check that out. But I wanted to read something real quick here. Uh, the, the title of the book is Take Six. And we're going to look at the six principles here in just a moment, or habits. And the subtitle is interesting to me. I want to read this because it's got some big words here. Um, not, well, sort of big words, but I'm not talking about big words, hard to say, but big words that mean a lot. Essential habits to own your destiny, overcome challenges, and unlock opportunities. That's a big subtitle. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. there, there's, there's a lot there. And, and so here's, the, I'm going to layer it with a question. When you talked about your first day walking in at Sunoco, mm -hmm. you brought up that you didn't really feel like you belonged. Mm -hmm. And as someone who's just written, there's a lot of books out there, Vita. There's a lot of people that have written stuff and a lot of people that have written good stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've recently gone through this, and I'm just curious if you had this thought ever, does the world really need another book with essential habits or something like that? Did you ever go through that at all when you were going through this process? Sure, I had self-doubt. Yeah, <laughs> of course you do. Uh, you have doubt about, is anybody going to buy it or read it? 
you know, or is it just going to fall flat? And then you feel like um, I've invested so much of my time and also everyone else's time who was associated with supporting it. Yeah, so you have self-doubt, you have fear. Um, these are very personal stories that I tell. You wonder how are they going to be received? Are you going to be, you know, end up feeling silly, you know, for having been so vulnerable and shared such personal aspects of your journey? Yeah, but you. Yeah, you did, so I, I think that's natural. Yeah, but you did very well, and I, I, I think the personal aspect of it is the uniqueness. That's the unique part: is that no one can have the experience that you've had, as you. Yeah, and. I, so I think it's I think it's this way in terms of how I look at professional settings. I don't look at it as I deserve this. I look at it as I will earn this, mm -hmm. right? So when when you have that now now what do we deserve? We deserve to be treated with respect. You know, that's number one. Uh, we deserve to be treated with kindness, not for people to be unkind or mean or degrading or all the negative things that we could say. So we owe one another respect for each of our humanity. That's what we deserve. But we don't deserve this job or that job. We earn the right to have it. And when you're earning it and you know it's you, that has to demonstrate and prove, that's where sometimes you have a little bit of doubt sometimes as you're kind of um, racking up the successes that will later give you confidence. But when you start out, you don't have that track record. Right. Well, I will say, great job on the book. Like I said, I was able to read through half of it. Now, one of the things you did is you've got, and I'm kind of going, I just got a new Kindle, so I'm trying to go to my highlighted items here. Mm -hmm. um, six, these six habits that I got through a portion of them, but I did kind of look through to find, make sure I knew what all of them were. Can you just quickly hit each one and maybe in the time yeah. we have left, we'll dive. There's one that I think I might want to talk in more detail, but maybe we'll just see how that goes. So real quick, give us the six and, uh, and then we'll see if we have time to do a little bit of a deeper dive into one of them. Great. Well, I'm really proud of the fact that they rhyme. So it is. <laughs> yeah, and they all fit together. I like Because when I saw the book titled Take Six, I'm going, huh, I wonder what this means. And then, boy, but you took all that and, and you made it fit in with the, uh, with, the, uh, with the six habits. So really cool. Good job there. Thank you. So it's, uh, I'll say them fast and then I'll unpack. Good. Take, uh, so it's take stock, take risk, take credit, take a hand, take a stand, take command. The first one takes stock, I think, is the one to spend the most time on. It's all about being honest with yourself and assessing where am I now? Where do I want to end up? What's the gap? And then setting your plan to clarify what that gap is. It's all about for you defining what success looks like and feels like for you in relation to where you are now. Take risk is all about recognizing that in order to advance, you can't stay paralyzed in what you're doing now in the same way. That in order to grow, you have to uh, take a risk to take a step outside of yourself and change, be willing to change your status quo. Uh, take credit is all about learning to assess uh, and share what you're good at what contributions or value you could bring to any situation? How did you contribute to a job well done? 
and always acknowledging the contributions of others, but not at your own expense. Take a hand we've already talked about. It's about being humble, admitting you need help, asking for help, but at the same time, being a net giver to reach out and be able to help others um, with any challenges or advice that they may need. Take a stand is being clear and understanding what your values are and knowing that there are some situations where you need to be able to speak up uh, in, in, and, and support who you are. And take command is all about the fact that we each have opportunities to lead. You know, I lead an organization. There are people who lead a nation. There are people who lead a team. And there are other people who may lead a project or a situation might call for a leader. Like if a bus derails, you know, or runs off the highway, someone needs to step up, take the lead within that group and kind of plot the path for people to find their way to safety in that situational leadership. So we all have opportunities to lead and take command is all about bringing your own authentic approach to leadership, not feeling like you're bound by what everyone else did before you. Yeah, all those are good. And just so you know, here at Seat Go Create, we talk a lot about leadership. And one of the things we do is we make sure that everyone knows that we don't assign leadership to a title or a position or anything like that. We have the assumption that everyone has a leadership role in this world. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. one that popped in my mind when you were saying that was your mother, because she wasn't in the business realm, but yet she probably led the family yes, in a very unique did. way. And mm -hmm. so that's leadership. I mean, single mm -hmm. moms, family members, I mean, mm -hmm. all of those things, and even people that are certain ages. So, all right, so what I want us to do, all of these are so rich and have so much depth to them, but we're gonna let people get the book and get into most of them. There, you said, and I totally agree, because self-awareness, and understanding who we are is foundational. So I'd love for us to take a couple of minutes to talk about that one. And if we have time, I want to talk about risk. There's something that I want to circle back to that we talked about at the very beginning that I want to tie together with risk. So let's talk about taking stock and what mm -hmm. people need to know about themselves to get this process started and to really be able to succeed. Yeah, so there is a free resource on the website for the book, takesixhabits.com, that in a professional, uh, you know, if you're looking at it from a professional standpoint, um, some tips that you can use to take stock. So uh, if you aspire to a different position or a, a certain type of job, then measure what are the educational requirements for it? Does it require special uh, training or skills that you may need to acquire? What skills do you already have that would lend themselves readily to that position? Perhaps you have all the, you know, education or training, but you have to demonstrate some experience related to the position. What are you going to do because you don't have that role right now that that approaches it or has shades of the right experience that might uh, naturally correlate to that? Sometimes you may have the experience and you may have, you know, the knowledge and training, but you just need to hear about the opportunity. And so in that case, you need to think about your professional networks. Where are places that you can become more active or visible so that you can hear about or position yourself 
uh, to learn about opportunities um, that you can, you know, put your name in uh, to potentially achieve. So there are a lot of things that you can do from thinking about education, training, experiences, skill sets that you have to demonstrate, making your checklist of achievements so that you can talk readily about them. Um, and all of these things are ways that you start to assess where you have gaps and then think about, you know, what's the gap and the plan for being able to fill it. And then Tim, the other habits are really about gap filling, yeah. you know, take, stepping out of yourself to take a risk, to take on a new project that would allow you to demonstrate new skills, to earn you that promotion. Um, that's taking a risk or, uh, uh, taking a hand to ask someone who has been doing the job that you have, hey, look, these are the skill sets and abilities that I think I might demonstrate. Tell me, do you think there are things on my list that I'm missing that I need to consider? Um, so, you know, uh, take credit, listing your accomplishments, being clear about it, learning how to speak about it, not thinking of it as bragging, but thinking about it as sharing, you know, and sharing authentically about what you can bring to the table. So as you can see, the other habits are really about helping close that gap. Yeah, and I, the, the reason I think that's good, it's almost like as I was reading, I saw like it circling because it, it's like none of them ever really end. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife and I are both, we're 58 years old. We've got mm -hmm. successful businesses. We're grandparents now, which is the best job ever, just so <laughs> everyone knows. And yet we right now are taking the next few weeks to mm -hmm. take stock. We literally are, are saying, okay, what would we like to do for the next five years? What's our next, what's now our five-year plan? I, you know, I've just finished writing a book myself. I've got a few mm -hmm. more novels that I'm going to be working on and my wife's working on some projects. And we're doing that. I think. I think one of the things is most people need to recognize, and I know you would just, uh, would say this. This is all a process. This is not an event. These are habits, right? right? Yes. Yes. And so, um, you know, it's it's funny that claiming that word habit had me filled with anxiety because right. when I grew up, coming through college and you know, professional, my grad school. There was Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I had in my mind like habits is associated with the seven habits. You know, how could there be space for me to even claim that word habit? Was it a little bit, you know, too ambitious for me to even claim that word? And it's funny that it was my editor and ghostwriter who pointed out that those habits are about being effective. My habits are one fewer, and it's about really self-actualization or setting your goals and defining what success is for you. So I started thinking about it. Yeah, it's true. People can be effective at what they do, but are they fulfilled by what they do? And this book is really about having you define what's fulfilling and successful for you and then having the habits regularly exercised to close that gap and achieve it. Hmm. All right. So the, the, the last one that I want to, we've got a couple minutes here and the one that, and it could have been, you know, late last night when I was reading this one. So it kind of rolled around in my head all night long as I was sleeping, <laughs> but that area of taking risk, it, it fascinates me because the thing that you talked about there was how we get in a zone. I will call it the comfort zone. I think you actually use those words. 
And Vita, this almost goes back to a topic we talked about earlier, you know, where we were raised, our our dogmas, the way we think, all of that kind of gets pressed in and mm-hmm. we start we start living, I'll say living small. And I don't think people like to admit that. But what are some things that you have, some tips, some real practical ideas to start getting outside of the zones we're in? This is one more thing, and then I'll turn it over to you and let you chat. But I I have Mm -hmm. found that many times people don't get out of those unless there's a catalytic event like COVID or, (laughs) you know, sickness, illness, job loss or something like that. But what can people do to be proactive to kind of start taking risk and get outside of those comfort zones? Yeah, well, I think it, it starts, especially if you're very risk averse, with starting small. You know, start start with something small. So um, it, it might be that you start by asking for training that, you know, you might use, if you're the type of person who never would usually ask for that, well, that's kind of, could be an easier one because then someone is investing in you. That's you stepping out of what your normal day to day would be, which is just, you know, to be a little bit more closed off in terms of looking for growth potential. So um, that might be an easy one. It might be also if you're um, intimidated, perhaps, about going back to school. The internet provides so many opportunities to learn. You can Google on almost any topic and find instructionals that you can just take quietly at home to increase your skill set. So no one even has to know that you're stepping out of yourself by undertaking these activities. And and so there, there are small ways that you can um, step out of your normal day-to-day approach. Yeah, I would even I would even pile on and say by listening to podcasts where of course, yeah. you know, people are digging a little bit. Part of what I mm-hmm. attempt to do to stretch muscles is ask questions like I did earlier. Mm-hmm. I grew up a certain way. You, you know, I think I'm told in many ways that my age, white males are causing a lot of the issues today. I don't know if that's a little strong, but you know, that's strong. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I need, I need to think differently and be open-minded. And I think everyone needs to kind of be open to things. So that's, excellent. we all do. I, I, I think that the divides that we all see without getting too political or delving too deep in it, we all know what the divides are or can think of some, it, it really does entail a lot of people, you know, having more empathy and reaching out to one another and trying to find a, a place of understanding at least. Hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah. related to that, this might be the answer to the question, but my almost last question is, who is this book for and what do you want the reader to take away when they're finished or they get through a, a get through the book? Well, the book is for people who are feeling like they want a little bit something to be different, Um, who feel as though, um, you know, I need to assess where I am. There might be something else that I aspire to, or I just don't know. And, you know, I want to want to think about what could be possible and so it's really for people at all stages of life you know I've been told that the habits in the book are good for someone starting out certainly I apply them and you know I've been working now for 30 years um, in in different professional capacities so 
these are the habits that I still use to this day, you know, as a 30 year old or 30, not 30 year old, I wish, but 30, <laughs> 30 years um, in law and business. Right. Yeah. And I, I think we're, we're, I think we're close in our, in our range there. Mm-hmm. So we got a little bit of experience, but we got a long way to go too. We're just, yes. we're just getting, just getting rolling here. So, uh, mm-hmm. so, um, and, and, and what's the takeaway? What do you want the reader when, when someone reads this, what would you like someone to run up to you at a conference and say, I read your book and blank. They read the book. They thought about the principles or habits, started to regularly apply them, and it made a difference to them. Even greater it would be that they share it with someone else because that is the whole net giver sort of philosophy. Yeah, I like that. So essential ha- take six, essential habits to own your destiny, overcome challenges, and unlock opportunities. Vita, where can people get in touch with you? Where do you want them to connect with you? And we'll, I think you mentioned a website earlier. It'll be in yes. the notes. Our people that do our notes, it'll be, it'll be there. But for people that are listening in audibly, where do you want them to go? And is there another place that they could connect with you? Sure. They can connect through the website, which is www.take6habits, all spelled out in words, .com. And then my LinkedIn is there as well. So connect with me via LinkedIn. And, you know, that way we can keep in touch with one another. And I can also see what others are interested in. Very good. We'll include links for all that. Vita, we are Seek go create those three words. I'm only going to give you one word. You got to choose which one resonates more than the other two and why. That's my final question. Definitely go. (laughs) And why? That's because one of the things I really love is I'm curious and I love to travel and see different parts of the world and different cultures and meet people who have a different experience than me. And so I can't encounter all that staying home in my house and i'm really excited that the world is opening back up again and i can't wait to go (laughs) well well you have expanded right now by talking to a guy that's in the passenger seat of an rv somewhere in south dakota so that's even and you know it's the beauty of zoom but uh yeah go is awesome vita thank you so much it's been such a blessing thank you i've enjoyed it tim to have this conversation if you have listened in and this has impacted you if it stretched you if you've gotten uncomfortable even that's fine what i'm going to ask you to do is to share this episode best way that people are exposed to new podcasts and new episodes uh, new things that they can listen to and be educated by is when someone personally shares it so take a screenshot or if you're on youtube or one of the socials just share this share this so they could hear this message and learn how they can take six and uh and then get the book if you haven't if you haven't already click on get the book it'll be down in the links and uh we've got new episodes every monday so until next time continue being all that you were created to be